Now on Racing Pulse, RSN's racing editor, Matt Stewart. Interesting approach from Mooney Valley too. The idea of using this race as a bit of a bargaining chip. It's sort of... I'm not sure everyone would feel good about that, that that, that's the role that the Cox Plate should have. For more news, opinion and selections, head to rsn.net.au. It is that time of the morning where RSN's racing editor, Matty Stewart, is here to discuss all of the day's news. And there's a fair bit bubbling around, Matty. Uh, We'll get to the CFL Stakes, the barrier draw and the, the fields. Uh, it's a big weekend down in Tassie with the Derby on Friday night, the Hobart Cup, and there's a few horses that'll be missing. And gee, we've got some superstars at jump outs at Flemington. But first of all, uh, there's politics at mm. play, which is not surprising in the current climate in Australian racing. And there's an article this morning in the Sydney Morning Herald that says, Racing New South Wales is taking on everyone. Yes, they are. Uh, racing Victoria, Racing Queensland, Racing South Australia and Rawa in the West uh, over, uh, what's the terminology used here? The um, I'll just read you the first few parts. The relationship between Australian horse racing is at a new low. Racing New South Wales set for a courtroom showdown with Racing Victoria and the jurisdictions just mentioned. And it's due to start on February 15, which is the very first day of the Melbourne-based Asian Racing Conference. I'm not sure whether... <laughs> I, I, that must be a coincidence. I'm sure it has to be because I don't know if the court's... Um, would adhere to what would be a dream result for a disruption. But uh, uh, it goes on to talk about um, the many years of um, unresolved disputes about feature race dates, prize money levels and all sorts of things about Racing Australia. I'll get to Racing Australia in a minute as well. Uh, So the accusation is that um, basically uh, that the other, from Racing New South Wales, is that um, the other three states have been colluding uh, behind Racing New South Wales' back. Uh, Peter Volandis, the Racing New South Wales CEO, has said, we're seeking documents because we're concerned about anti-competitive behaviour. And this has been bubbling for some time. And, you know, we have been aware of this for a while and aware of what the motivation for the other PRAs has been to, out of frustration, to have discussions and have... uh, uh, what, I, what we would probably deem to be reasonable exchanges out of frustration because they are struggling to engage with New South Wales when it comes to things that need to be discussed at Racing Australia. So it'll be fascinating to see how this plays out now that it's been aired and it's going to go through the courts in Sydney. Just which way the courts interpret this too, because I know that the other PRAs are very confident that whatever they're being accused of is fair and reasonable behaviour. So we'll, we'll, without preempting any anything that will go through the courts, uh, uh, that is the view that they have. So it's going to be interesting to see what gets fleshed out through this court case and whether the court deems, now that Racing New South Wales has taken the front foot, whether um, it's a... It's a it's a fair and reasonable claim or whether uh, the behaviour of the other PRAs is, is, is in fact fair and reasonable. Well, it'll be interesting to actually get it broken down as to what is the definition of anti-competitive behaviour. What exactly is it that they think the other states are doing that is anti-competitive to New South Wales? Now, we all are assuming, and there is talk, that the other states have been getting together and having meetings about maybe trying to progress rule changes, uh, pattern, race dates around New South Wales because New South Wales won't come to the table 
when it comes to the Racing Australia board meetings. So is that anti-competitive or is that just trying to get on with business? Business, yeah, exactly right. And and is um, it, it, can the same accusation be made against the outlier rather than the, 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 the group? So anyway, well, we're going to learn a lot more. I'm not sure how long it's slated to go for. or, or But it's tiresome, isn't it? It's just tiresome. Oh, I think it is because at the end of the day... If, if there's a group of people at a party and one person's sitting on the outside table and everyone's inside, but that one person thinks everyone is against them, maybe that one person sitting at the outside table needs to look at themselves. Yeah, no, that's exactly, uh, I think, how a lot of people feel. There's a very parochial kind of interpretation of this within New South Wales, within media and all that sort of thing. So I think the rest of us see it a lot differently than that. Well, and and maybe it's got a little bit to do with um, what... Racing Victoria and other jurisdictions are trying to do to sort of distance themselves from the encroachment from Racing New South Wales and, you know, a reaction to that sort of thing. And I think a lot of people feel that this decision, this this uh, agenda that uh, Racing uh, Victoria has about the Cox Plate is in part driven by territory and new territory because um, Racing New South Wales is, is trying to claim established territory. My... Um, strong understanding now is that it's uh, almost destined to not happen uh, The movement year. of the Cox Plate. The movement of the Cox Plate this year. 99.9% will not happen. And my understanding is that the pitch from Andrew Jones and Matt Welsh to the Racing Victoria board um, was not warmly welcomed, as in they weren't, the board was not convinced uh, that um, the case is a strong one against retention. There is a Racing Victoria board meeting next Monday, and I think we're going to know one way or the other by Monday afternoon or Tuesday whether there's room for this to proceed or whether it's going to get knocked on the head, at least for this year. Maybe maybe what may happen is at the, the, at the very first thing might be, well, you're not going to do it this year because it's just, it's just too, it's too rushed. Um, come back with us. Come back with a strong case, and we'll maybe consider it in a more long term, but a more well considered proposal. So it's a gut feel I'm getting. And even when we we had Matt in the studio on Tuesday, that was almost the unsaid tone was that look, there are a number of options on the table. This is not the one option. There could be an option where there is no change. There could be an option where we slowly introduce new race days and new races. And I think it's that. Middle ground is where I think things will fall. I don't think it will be the the huge sledgehammer movement of the Cox Plate this year. And there's some that those who are sort of interested in it and supportive of it use catchphrases like "You can't stand still," "You got to innovate," um, "You know, racing's withering on the vine." But none of that, none of that. Uh, addresses anything. It's just it's just talk. And I'm not talking that that's the language that's being used by Racing Victoria. I'm just saying. Those who seem to be supportive of it, I was reading a column on one of the other other racing websites saying, oh, come on, give it a go. What do you got to lose? Well, you got a lot to lose if it's not properly thought out. So anyway, hey, you remember the Sharon Chapman accidental jigger photo taken at the Birdsville races last August? Uh, it's now uh, resulted yesterday in um, this leading bush trainer, Todd Austin, being found guilty by Queensland stewards of three of the four charges which were issued over the jigger scandal. Uh, they're not charged. There's no charge relating to Austin possessing a jigger, 
his wife Tony, uh, the the four person at the stable, has been felt guilty of providing false or misleading evidence by stewards. Jockey Rick McMahon has already pleaded guilty and providing false evidence and misleading evidence. There've been one week to make submissions before penalties are announced. There, those penalties will be very steep. Yes, I can imagine. Look, um, it's what's happened to Darren Weir and others. Well, exactly so. right. Is there any? More movement on that, by the way, with uh, with Weir, who officially not has not not that I'm aware of today. No, his penalty. Um, gee, Sharon Chapman's going to go down in racing history, <laughs> well, capturing some amazing two examples. Exactly. Well, the Banner Strand, she's a she's one of the best photographers I've ever seen. But sometimes the really great photographers are more likely to capture an accidental image than the the hacks. And the, the Banner Strand one was. Uh, Caught, captured in the corner of the the frame of the photo, and then we all know what happened there. So, and then um, innocently taking a photo up at Birdsville, and look what happened. Uh, <coughs> sorry, pardon me. Um, big gallops uh, Flemington tomorrow. How about this, this is a great sure. prelude. You love a gallop. A great prelude oh, to like um, horses. Yes, to the Lightning Stakes coming up. Who's well, in why action? Don't, why don't they just call this the Lightning, and then we can uh, have a real crack at it? Uh, Nature Strip Rock and Horse Atorius September Run. Uh, heat one uh, at the down the straight tomorrow, and then on the steeple track, alligator blood. Be interesting to see how he gallops and how pleased they are, because I think there's a little bit of a fifty-fifty on how he's going. Um, so we'll see how how, how that gallop uh, comes uh, uh, goes there tomorrow, and also on the steeple gra- grass, the great masked villain, masked crusader, <laughs> and shooting for coal, shooting for gold go around. So that's a big lead into the lightning stakes coming up in a couple of weeks. And then more imminently, um, this is the barrier draw. Think about speed map in your head, Michael, and race shape. This is the ore at Hillside. Remember, this is at Hillside. Don't think Caulfield in your mind's punters because it's uh, a different shape here. Oh, I'm Thunderstruck's draw nine. Uh, for Jamie Carr, I have lost half a sheet here. So just uh, Mr. Brightside, barrier 10. So automatically you think negative, negative. Well, Mr. Brightside, how negative would he be? This is what's intriguing because he's drawn a, a, a really bad barrier for him. And remember when we are out at Cranbourne on Tuesday, uh, was it Monday? No, Monday. The reason, well, part of the reason why Jamie Carr's been engaged for I'm Thunderstruck is that they want him ridden a bit more closer. And so what are you going to do from nine? Out of the gates, quicker out of the gates. So they, they to achieve that goal, they've been thwarted a number of times by just not drawing the right gate for I'm Thunderstruck. So, but Sandown, it's the beginning of a long preparation. Maybe this is just another one of those I'm Thunderstruck runs where he goes back and runs on and runs a blinder and runs second, third, fourth or fifth. Mr. Brightside's drawn barrier 10 for Willow. Uh, Tuvalu, I'm loving this horse with the blinkers. This is the one, barrier one. Push up, race handy. Call sign Mav, drawn barrier eight. Push across, race reasonably handy. Western Empire, doesn't matter, barrier five. Drift back. Aegon, Andrew Forsman. You spoke to Andrew Forsman yesterday. What would be the game plan for Aegon from barrier seven, do you think? You'd just sit off them. Gentlemen, sit, sit back. Gentleman Roy will go forward. Nugget will, not really sure with Nugget from barrier six. Gentleman Roy's drawn barrier three. So, so there's going to be speed. Gentleman yeah. Roy goes forward. Um, Tuvalu goes forward. What do they do with Mr. Brightside? Do they try to go forward and slot in uh, or ease back? Jack and I is going to get the perfect run. Yeah, can you just, because I bought in the first, but the, no, numbers 9 and 10, what have we got there? Jack and I is drawn, number 10 is drawn gate 4, which is perfect, and Churath's drawn barrier 2. So Well, she can race handy. Yeah, she'll sit probably um, 
almost box seat just behind well, them as well. I think the Dean Lesters of this world will be, and the Mark Hunters will be sitting there when they think about this map, thinking there will be strong-ish speed, and it may make the I'm Thunderstruck barrier draw, for instance, less of an issue because they might think, you know what, we, we want him to get out a bit uh, cleaner and eventually in his races hold a spot, but this might be a perfect scenario to just do the usual I'm Thunderstruck thing and peel back and be five off him turning for home and then get down the outside. In fact, I actually think it's a very good scenario. It, it eliminates them being too tempted to rush him forward because they, they probably don't need to. Uh, they can probably allow him to do his thing and he can still run as well as he possibly can under the circumstances, but Tuvalu's the one. I think Tuvalu's going to become one of the one of the big horses. Three forty Jack and I, four dollars I'm Thunderstruck, Tuvalu five fifty, and then you're out to gentleman right seven dollars. So they're the, the top four in the market and what's going to be an intriguing C of four on Saturday, and of course you've got the Blue Diamond Preludes and the WA two year olds and the Queenslander just adds that extra layer of intrigue and um, Price doesn't usually talk his horses up very often, but he's confident about Charmstone, isn't he, every time yeah. he speaks? I think mainly because it's not a year of superstars. If we had a, um, you know, like one of those uh, put-your-hand-up two-year-olds like we've had in years to come, like Miracles of Life, was a real star. Like if a Miracles of Life Sepoy. was around, which one? A Sepoy. Sepoy or something like that, we'd... Uh, or even a catchy, we'd probably have a, a firmer view. But I think it's they're confident about that filly because there isn't a Miracles of Life around this year. Um, Zoo Gotcha's out of the light fingers with an elevated temperature. Yeah, that's interesting because um, she's now going to go first up, I think, in the surround. So it's going to be interesting. She'll take on In Secret, who now is into a dollar eighty-five, I think, in the light fingers and. In secret, will have fitness going to the surround next time they meet. So not ideal. And I did see also this morning that uh, Joyful Fortune. Do you remember that ex-Hong yep. Kong horse? The fast horse, yep. Yeah, it's out of the autumn. It's got a, a knee injury, unfortunately, so we won't see it as well. It's a shame about In Secret running in Sydney because it rules her out of the lightning, and that's a shame. But I'd I think wa- she's going to come down for the new market. That's yeah. the plan. Love to see her go toe-to-toe with Nature Strip just to see exactly where Nature Strip's at because he'd want to be the old Nature Strip to knock her off at the moment. There was an interesting winner at Mo yesterday. It was good that we had Ben Allen on the big V because he's luckily I tuned because it was a twilight meeting. I tuned in just for the last race, and it was his only winner, Ben uh, Ben Allen. Thank Did he give God. It a good push yesterday. Yeah, he pushed pushed hard enough for a desperate like me. That's fair to say. Um, there was a good winner. There was an expensive one that um, Mick Price and Michael Kent would have been, you know, more interested than most. It was a horse called Humming. Was a one point something or other yearling. Nine five, one point nine five million. So pretty much two million. Bucks. Yeah, uh, beautifully bred. You want these ones to win on debut. There's no, there's no waiting for a two million dollar yearling at, at Mowie on a, on a Wednesday. And this is what Humming did. And this was the view of Damien Lane afterwards. Now Humming's about to turn the dial at the 200 metres, sprints a length and a half, Warren full bore, then Frostwood and Red Duster, it's Humming 100 metres to go, two lengths in front, $1.9 million worth of horse flesh storming towards the post and scoring, Humming on debut wins it from in second place. Yeah, she began well and um, I used her a little bit early, which I haven't done in a jump out, so she was a little bit uh, looky out there in front, um, but she idled nicely and always felt like I was in control. Yeah, obviously, lovely well-bred filly with a big price tag, so important to knock that over early. Hopefully, you know, this time of year we can get her going into some better races. Imagine if it had run a gasping fifth and oh. Lane had come back and said, you know what, I... 
I don't think there's much scope here. To be, imagine the owners going, oh, no. So, anyway, it was a good start for well, the $2 think, million. Uh, yeah, I think it was Seamus Mills. He's got a good strike rate uh, opening his shoulders with, uh, yeah. with these, uh, these fillies and what ultimately ends up broodmare. So, it was good to see it win yesterday. Hey, just quickly, um, Hobart Cup yep. on Sunday. You and Dan yep. Malecki will be there. But before that, uh, on Friday, tomorrow night, Dunkel. I think he's about $1.28 in the derby. And we've also got a pretty short price. What was that horse of Gay Waterhouse that he just beat last up? Yeah. Philly is also going around tomorrow as well. So it's a good um, few days of racing down in Tassie. No, that's exactly right. Interesting observation from Harry Coffey on Dunkel when we interviewed him recently. He said, I don't know whether he will fulfill, you know, it's all always a bit of a risk, he said, but he's just the horse you want in your stable because who knows whether where the limits might be, talking about cups and so on. So Harry's... And Harry's become just super A-grade in recent times. He's So he's the right man for the job. And I think for Tassie, it's great to have a rising star. They don't get a lot of them. I think Dunkel on the Friday night, uh, the inevitable on the Saturday, on the Sunday, plus the Cup, uh, plus Dan Malecki. So it's pretty pretty big all-star lineup there. Malecki and I are going to be doing 10 to 12 on Sunday. All the big review from the big group one day at Sandown will be Warren and the, and the usual team on correct weight. And then Dan and I will focus shift the focus across to uh, um, the big Hobart Cup, the inevitable. Uh, hopefully we'll have a bit of Scott Brutton Mohawk action and Richie Robinson and maybe David Perez, all the stars down there. And it's a friendly time for Dan and I, 10 to 12, given we're getting down there and we'll be there on Saturday night. Oh, so you're, you're planning to tie one on? Ah, uh, he's talking a big game. Oh, he's me. talking a big game, Malecki. Uh, sole choice was that filly. She goes around the strut stakes. She's a dollar sixty as well on Friday. Just uh, to wrap it up, a couple of SMSs. Um, looks like or sounds like common sense will prevail. No change to the Cox Plate. Um, what a shame those jump outs won't be covered on Racing.com tomorrow, as they would be in New South Wales. We'll double check that because I know they have been live. They have, done some. They have been live streaming mm. them. It's not been on the um, free to air TV station or the broadcast channel, but it has been live streamed on the website. So we'll double yeah. check that. And I think that's a value add. I mean, as you know, I'm. I think the benefit of them is is just looking at the best horses, whether regardless of what how you assess them, cantering up the straight. But I think if you package it up with you know the interviews and the close-up vision of these horses walking around and cantering to the barriers. It's it's good. It's good vision. So um, we have been talking about it for a while, haven't we? Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, morning, gents. See your four maps perfectly for Mr. Brightside. I can't believe so many punters don't see it that way. Uh, Mark from West Meadows. I, I just don't think he's quite good enough. I think he's a length inferior to the really good horses. So that's that's why I would be thinking he'd need all the luck in the world. Yeah, he's won a Doncaster. He's, yeah, he won a handicap. He won the fiend by four. Mm. Um, uh, Jeff Volandis, uh, if you're looking... <laughs> don't do it, no, Michael. You know no. where this could head. He's up there. Um, we don't want letters arriving up the other end of the building. And we move the all-star mile to late November? That wouldn't upset any traditionalists. Well, um, I think some of the, the dialogue that's been coming through about the Cox Plate has been, look, if we are to explore that, in inverted commas, territory, why not just... At a race, why take one away? Why, if you're going to do it and you want to sustain, you know, whatever the, the terms they're using of engagement and so on, why not um, create a super-duper race um, that you hope will attract those horses rather than leave a vacant hole where it's always been? I think that's 
if you were to crystallise the concern, it's it's not putting it where they want to put it. It's leaving it where they're mm. going to take it out of. Yeah. And if you fill that with a Mooney Valley Cup, you're going to take away all that momentum that builds up towards a Cox Plate with what the hell are we what, what are we going to do this Saturday? We're not going to go to Mooney Valley and spend 200 bucks um, and watch a Mooney Valley Cup. So that's the concern is it's not what you put where you put it, it's what you leave behind. Uh, this is all because the Everest has been denied Group 1 status. If anything, Racing New South Wales is being anti-competitive. Uh, there's a few other SMSs there. Uh, this is an interesting one. Michael, what's going on with Victorian racing? First, we've got race-free Mondays now. No afternoon meetings on Wednesday, Thursdays, uh, or, or Fridays only, twilight or night meetings. It's ridiculous. Um, it's interesting because during the summer period, there is the push to have more twilight meetings. And again, I think that's turnover-based. Mm. People after work, people yep. going to the pub, people can have a bet when the product is, as in the race meetings, are put on a little later in the afternoon. But it does leave that void. The first race yesterday wasn't until mm. 3.40. What time's the first today uh, or this evening at Packham? 5.45. So no mm. races today. Um, and there is, a, there is a gap there for those who... You know, like to have mm. a, a bet during the day or watch the races. But I guess, as you say, if it's turnover base, if we say so RV says, okay, we're going to race Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, what's going to get more eyeballs and more wagering? And if they say starting at three o'clock and ending at seven thirty, uh, if we're only going to one, run one race meeting, well, then the bloke who texted through, then if he, he's desperate for a bet, then why doesn't he just go and? go back to work or have a lunch and then at 3.30 then he can launch. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like he's, no, all I, he has to do is wait. I understand. I know we're an impatient society, you, Michael, but this bloke can wait, can't What he? do you think about the race-free Mondays? Because they were brought in with great intention because of the 24-7 lifestyle and the workload of those working in the industry. Um, but I don't think it's made much of a difference because usually there's big sets of jump-outs or trials on those Mondays. The trainers and jockeys, well, maybe jockeys can have the Arvo off, but um, I don't know whether it's been as well-received as what it well, was originally thought of. Well, the trainers are a little bit to blame here too because they were consulted and they all said, yeah, yeah, we want to have a, a day off and then Race of Victoria gave them a day off and then they all jumped up and down. The thing that I don't quite get is... If you have a race-free Monday, and then you say say you were going to race at Warwick Nabil on that Monday or wherever it is, only about four or five percent of the training population is engaged at that meeting. So ninety ninety percent, let's just say, of trainers, it doesn't affect because they're not they don't have runners. Mm. So what's the what's the day off that? What part of it's a day off? Because most of them aren't aren't engaged in it. I remember trainers were jumping up and down when they put on the Good Friday meeting at sale, saying, oh, another bloody race meeting. There were trainers at Warnable who were blueing about it, as if it affects them. <laughs> like, I thought, okay. But do you have to watch it or do you have to go and not compete? So anyway, anyway, trainers are a funny bunch. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they, they, they were consulted about that and then they jumped up and down. So they've got to, you know, they've got to look at themselves in the mirror yeah, sometimes about these things. It'll be interesting to see if they change that moving forward. Uh, Maddie, looking forward to the big V. What's yeah, coming up? Nikita is going to come in. We're going to talk to Sean Cooper, who's just killing it at the picnics. Uh, uh, he's going to be one of our guests there. Uh, and then we're going to have a lot of Maleki action with Green Light On. Um, I'm trying to get hold of... Remember, you were listening to this discussion yesterday we had about 
the 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 skinny odds of double doubles in Melbourne Caulfield and Melbourne Cups, and then it drifted towards Farlap, and we had a few different people chipping in about what really happened with Farlap and the double and the collusion and the attempted uh, murder of Farlap. What, do you know what you need to do? Get the famous scene out of Farlap. And Is that historically accurate? It's in a movie. It has to be. Well, it's, it has to be true. <laughs> but it's a great scene. So maybe you get Mickey Comerford, the world's greatest apprentice, to. Um, I'm sure the Farlap movie is online, Mikey, isn't it? And if you could snip up that little scene, which is just, it's brilliant. It's the great well, rort that they um, plan and sting with Amonis in the Caulfield Cup, Farlap in the Melbourne Cup. And it's, well, uh, Amonis won't beat Farlap. Well, of course he won't. But what happens if we scratch Farlap from the Caulfield Cup? Well, Amonis will win the Caulfield Cup and then we win the Melbourne Cup. You'll get great odds, and he says we'll have we'll hit the bookies all around Australia before they know. Well, that's I guess that's kind of right. But there was a guy who I'm I'm going to, with all due respect to you, David <laughs> Robertson uh, wrote a book where he went into more detail than anyone, and I'm trying to get hold of him just to, to follow on from that discussion because there's so much more to the story of that era with Farlap and the cups double, and you know they attempted to poison his water. There was a threat to chop off one of his legs. Um, there was a, a collusion of some of the biggest names in racing at the time down at a farm near Bacchus Marsh where plans were hatched and all these things were going on. So I didn't know any of that. Um, but David Robertson has written the book specifically. He wrote about 1,500 pages and was told to edit it back, so he concentrated solely on delving into the that era with Farlap. Problem is, I can't get hold of him at the moment, but if we can get well, hold of him... If anyone knows him, SMS. Yeah, but I'm trying to get hold of him today, and if I can't, we'll just keep this idea lingering, because I guarantee you we will definitely talk to him uh, early next week on the Big V. So hang in there. Farlaps on Netflix, SMS is coming through. The Davis Connolly doubles sting was worth about $17 million in today's money. Dave Davis, the owner. Yep. Um, uh, and Mick Sharkey, yeah, I'm not sure. Has Mick Sharkey watched Farlap yet? Eric Connolly was the big bookie. John Wren yeah. was involved. He was a b- bloke who inspired Power Without Glory. Do you know who would know, and has probably done something on it, is your good mate at the Herald Sun. Ruler. Andrew Ruler, no. Um, he may, but I'm telling you, David Robertson wrote it, so he's, I'm going to well, go straight to the source. And, get on to Robbo. And we'll... uh, so, Robbo, if you're listening, uh, we need you. Uh, Matty, we'll look forward you, to Michael. hopefully hearing that on the Big V a little later. Half past nine, we'll take a break on the other side of this. We'll catch up with Danny O'Brien, Trial Files, McGeer and plenty more still to come.